themselves and 360 the world. Jamie Neal, the host, asks many questions about their mindset and how they fundamentally operate their world and the world around them. Here at 360 Yourself, we are very proud and honoured to be partnered with General Assembly. We embrace this with open arms to a new adventure. General Assembly is a global tech education company focused on the most in-demand areas today. So that's anything from UX, digital marketing, coding, data science, data analytics, to travel writing and ethics. Our slash their main goal is to get you where you want to be. You can find out more about them at ga.co online or across all socials at ga underscore London. We also encourage you to please rate and comment about us on Apple Podcasts. If you do enjoy what we bring to your ears, we'd love to hear about it. We're supported by General Assembly and that's right, you can get a 25% discount for their services. Promo code is 360yourself25. The code will be valid up to £75 off any one of their classes, workshops and boot camps and is valid until the 31st 08 2021 and is not applicable to GA's full-time, part-time or online circuit courses. Full T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome back to 360 Yourself. I hope you're having a good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Um, I am back in my usual place in Devon. It is lovely and sunny today. It was also lovely and sunny yesterday as well. It's been awful weather recently. Um, but as many people know, when you are in Devon, where you are in the countryside, when it is sunny, it is the most uh, glorious place to be because there is so much to do. There is so much nature. I mean, we have uh, what do we have? We have the Barbican, we have um, the sea, we have the Dartmoor, we have all kind of nature reserves and that sort of thing. So it is a beautiful place to do photography, do filmmaking, do whatever you want, nice little walks as well. It would be even better if you did a walk and you could actually go to the pub and have a, a pie and a pint afterwards. That'd be, that's my favourite thing to do. But unfortunately, we're still not done. But hopefully, uh, come April, I think it is, um, we'll be able to do that. So... Something I've been thinking about and a podcast I was listening to about success and what is success for people. And I think success can check. I think firstly, I think success changes over time. I think when you're in your 20s to your 30s to your 40s, I think success means different for you. I think definitely when I was in my early 20s, uh, late teens, it was about making a lot of money. And I think that was the big thing about being really successful, making a lot of money and living this lavish life lifestyle but actually as I got older and I'm now in my uh, late 20s it's always been about for me having the freedom to do what I want um, and obviously you have to have some amount of money to do that kind of freedom and it talks about what is success this podcast and I was reflecting on what is my success like okay I've got my health I've got my family I've got money in my pocket like I can basically do what I want at this moment in time and 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 that's I think that's what success is for me and I think as long as I'm content in this sort of present moment um, then I'm pretty much successful in life and I think that's my basic principle and I've always said to people uh, this simple question uh, in this present moment you always ask yourself am I happy yes or no and if it's a no Okay, when we dissolve that, we need to question why and how do we solve it. And if it's a yes, keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing. But I think a lot of people find that word of what is success and how do you know when you're successful? Well, I don't think you ever know when you're successful because you're kind of on that kind of present, ever-going journey. But um, it's a really... I'd love to know as well if you could reach out to me as well if you're listening to this. Let me know what your success is and what you define success because I'd love to know 
what yeah what you think um so speaking of uh success i mean this this girl is so successful in and what we know in her kind of career in the ballet world she i've known her for a long long time i think i've known her since 2010 i think it's that's we're now to the, so that's 11 years i've known that's crazy isn't it and so we were catching up uh, just before the podcast, but I really, really love talking to her about how she has come along because I've known her for a long time and, and I've seen her in her glory. So I want to introduce you to Anna Rose O'Sullivan, who is a first soloist at the Royal Ballet uh, Company. Uh, she trained at the Royal Ballet School and then joined the company in December 2012 as an artist, then promoted to first artist in 2016. Then she was promoted to a soloist in 2017 and then a first soloist in 2019. I mean, I honestly have seen her grow so much over the last couple of years and to actually just chat to her and see where it has all, all come because I knew her when she was at the Royal Ballet School. Um, so that's a really fascinating uh, journey the last 11 years that I've known her. So I want to introduce you to Anna. Hey Anna, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very, very well. So whereabouts are you in the world? I, I'm always asking everyone this at the moment because I'm just fascinated because everyone's everywhere. So I'm just fascinated where you are. Um, I'm currently speaking to you from Ryslip, sunny oh, Ryslip. It's been snowing this week. But, where is, um, is Ryslip? It's northwest of London, so it's just outside London. Oh, okay. yeah. And, and I'm assuming that's your home home? Like it is, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually at my flat, but I live very close to my family. So, oh, yeah, very okay. close to them. <laughs> and so and so, how long does it take you to get into, like, central London then? Because obviously you're, obviously you're based at Covent Garden, Royal Opera House. Like, how long does it take from where you live to the, to the place? Door-to-door, uh, -door, it's about 40 minutes, I'd say. It's not too bad, yeah. That's pretty good. Cause, I yeah, mean, it's a pretty good train ride. You can just read a book or... I mean, most people, most people take 30, 40 minutes, even if you live like Shoreditch or you live like, I mean, it takes, it takes quite a long time anyway. Like yeah. Minutes. So if you can get onto Ricelip or you can go to, I don't know, Lewisham or whatever and just go on yeah. so easily. It's so great. Yeah. Aren't they also building like the Victoria, not Victoria line, the Queen Elizabeth line? Yeah, they are. I think they're in the process of doing that now. Um, currently, yeah. So that would be exciting. <laughs> yeah, because I, I hear people just um, keeping an eye on it because obviously, as soon as it's built, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. It's part. It's all part. Of it. It's all part of it. Um, so I, sorry, that was my friend. It's all right. You can just ring them up and be like, "I'm on a podcast." I'm on a podcast. <laughs> um, so uh, I was just saying, like, I, I know a lot of people who are like looking at that line and going, "When it's built." those surrounding areas or the city, not the cities, but the local areas be worth a fortune because obviously mm. near like a, a tube line, there's also going to be a lot of money. Yeah, well, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> well, how, how have you been doing in lockdown? I mean, because have you, have you, I think we spoke beforehand that you've only just started back in rehearsals, is that my correct? For... Yeah, yeah, I've been okay, thank you. Um, the first lockdown, I was with my family and I was taking class online via Zoom um so that was body conditioning and yoga and pilates and cl daily class work mm -hmm. um and it was quite it was a challenge I'm not going to lie dancing in the living room with you know the postman walking past I think he he got used to it by the end seeing me limbering up every day love it um Do you have your own now, bar though in the front room or something no I, I was just holding on to the windowsill and we got <laughs> sent um you know a bit of flooring from harlequin which was great because that really did make a huge difference amazing yeah. um but now we are back in the opera house yeah um with this lockdown we're exempts um because we're able to train um so yeah it's still very careful being tested twice a week and it's very different to what it was before but it's great to be back in studio and just have that space to you know, swing your legs and to really move as sure. a dance is really important. Sure. I think, I think, yeah. I think people, even I'm included, well, it, I intrigued because like you, you hear about Strictly Come Dancing when I know it's totally separate to like the Royal Ballet Company, but people were saying when Strictly Come Dancing comes on, they were like, 
how are people like are they able to like touch them each other's partners and stuff because obviously <laughs> your because obviously when you do your partner work you've got it you've got to at least touch the person to yeah spin them around and stuff like it's because obviously you'll get it tw- uh, tested twice a week it's totally fine you can touch each other and that sort of thing and do mm. your work as, sort of as normal or how, how how careful have you got to be yeah we still have to we have to be very careful we're basically bubbled up um when mm. we're dancing with another person so for instance for the the gala we did um back in october which i think was the first time in eight months that the royal of ballet had performed and it was streamed um me and marcelino were bubbled up together so you were bubbled up with one other dancer so you and them could touch each other but everybody else you were far apart from um that's how so yeah that's how it's working at the moment and we're sort of bubbled in groups so in effect they're doing all they can to keep us as safe as possible that's great and so and so do you have any shows coming up or anything like that what, what's what's the schedule well at the moment it's sort of just wait awaiting the government's announcements and things so we don't know for certain what we're going to be performing and I think that's probably the most challenging thing is that we don't know what is coming next so it's just about being as physically ready as we can be for when they give us the green light um to go um but we're creating a ballet at the moment um which i'm not sure how much i'm allowed to say about it but um, we're in the very early stages of creation so it's great to be putting our minds to something and using time for sure for sure yeah and so because you've been in the royal ballet company for a long time now like I know I'm, it's going so quickly but, but obviously before that so I want to go before we go jump into kind of the Royal Ballet Company like before this like how did you get into it because I also we I also know that we spoke about this that you're also a massive musical theatre lover and you were, I am. You were into the Miz as well <laughs> I yeah I was um I performed the role of Little Cosette um back in the day when I was about nine I think um at the Queen's Theatre in the West End and I absolutely loved it um and I did Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That was another one. Um, the London Palladium. I think I was like the youngest cast member. I was about seven or eight. Um, <laughs> and I just, yeah, I remember those memories from my childhood as being just incredible opportunities. And I sort of fell into that. Um, I think some talent scouts came down to our local dance school and encouraged us to audition for uh, either musicals or particular um, things in the arts. And I just sort of went along with the ride really and from a very young age had a very I just loved performing um my mum's got photo evidence of me you know putting on shows in my living room and dressing up and before any formal training as such I always had that love of dancing and singing um so it was always there really Mm. um but my mum took me to my first ballet class uh, I think I was about four and um, I fell in love with it from first lesson, really, to be honest. Oh. And because you're also in like Chick G Bang Bang, I also read as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, my, my question is, what made you want to go to like ballet school and then rather than kind of like a musical theatre school? Because obviously when you do, when you, go, when you go to a dance school anyway, you've got to do ballet. Like that's one of your main Yes. Things. What made you want to specialise in ballet and not go to kind of musicals as if that was kind of your first thing? Yeah, um, <clears throat> it's interesting because I dabbled in all of the styles growing up. Mm. Um, but I suppose when I I took part in a London Children's Ballet's production of A Little Princess mm-hmm. uh, when I was about nine, and I performed the part of Sarah Crew. And one of the performances, I think the late director of the Royal Ballet Lower School, Gaylene Stock, was there. And she saw me um, and encouraged me to audition for White Lodge. The Royal Ballet's lower school. Uh, yeah. So um, I was like, I, I had, I was aware of the Royal Ballet School, and mm-hmm. I loved my ballet. Um, it was my favourite of all of the styles. But um, I suppose having the encouragement from people along the way um, mm-hmm. pushed me as well to to go for it. Really. Um, so I just auditioned, and I trained there for five years, mm-hmm. and then I graduated into the Royal Ballet's upper school, mm-hmm. and. Um, I was offered a contract with the Royal Ballet Company at the start of my graduate year. So my love of performing is, I think, what's made it was the stem of that journey. But um, definitely having the encouragement from people around me and 
seeing my talent um, has mm. also helped me. Yeah, I mean, it's just incredible, isn't it? Like to think about where you come from, from like from the beginning, and suddenly you're now, mm. with the, you went to the Royal Ballet Lower School, then you're in the Royal Ballet Upper School, and then you're in the company. And now mm. you're like one of the top like people there. It just must be like, you must mm. go back and go like, is this my life? Is this crazy? <laughs> I dance ballet at the Royal Ballet Company as a job. I mean, it must be mental. Yeah, um, I feel very, very fortunate to, to have a job that I'm very passionate about. Um, I know not everybody has that in their life, so I feel very lucky. Mm. Um, but I do, I come from a family, nobody in my family dances. So I'm, I'm the, um, the ballet dancer of the family. And <laughs> I think it's kept me very grounded throughout my time mm-hmm. um, training and also in this world of dance. It's yeah. kept me very grounded and had my feet firmly on the ground. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I, I also read as well that you were in the finals of the Genet International Ballet Competition, which is obviously a massive ballet, ballet competition. So I read that you were in the uh, Genet International Ballet Competition back in 2000. Uh, is it 2011 that there was? I think it was. Oh, when no, was no, it? No, I think it was, it was before that. Was before, because, it was before that. And no, so, like, I mean, obviously, yeah. that was a massive, massive, like, accomplishment. Because, I mean, Genet, I mean, I would say that Genet is, like, kind of going to, like, Cannes for, like, film festival, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's similar, huge. I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I think I was one of the, if I remember rightly, when I think back, I think I was one of the younger um, competitors. So I felt, this is great. I'm, I'm here. Um, and I learned a lot from just seeing everybody around me. I think competitions in dance can be really positive um, if you go into it with that attitude and mindset to, mm-hmm. to be inspired by people around you and to treat it as not so much a competition, but a, a lesson. Um, mm. And just picking up different styles and how people approach their work. I think it's really important to always be inspired and to learn from others as well mm-hmm. um but yeah it's it, it's it's just it's fascinating like uh, when you read your career like the promotions that you get like how long I'm always because I was talking to a friend of mine who works in advertising and like he was like well I didn't want to go the advertising route because I didn't want to spend years going from this like junior to like medium to like senior but like within the ballet company you have to kind of do that you have to go through the processes yes is, is there like a timeline, like roughly in your head, you know, going, well, it takes me like a month, it me like two years to get to this role and the month it takes me no. <laughs> How does it work? Is there like- So a- yeah, it's not guaranteed at all in, in the ballet world. Um, it really is down to several things, um, you know, timing, luck, having an opportunity to show what you can do, mm. um, depending on, I suppose, where, when there's a moment for you um so it's not guaranteed that you will be promoted um it's 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 dependent on a lot of things injury um and having that that moment to showcase what you're able to do in those opportunities so yeah because what because one of my favorite roles of yours is alice in alice in wonderland uh, <laughs> yeah that's great alice in adventures isn't it uh, alice Alice's adventures. Alice's adventures in Wonderland. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I, I was just <laughs> in, in, yeah. But like that's one of my one of my favorite roles, and there's there is a shot of you, I think, and I'm just like, and your legs are split, and it's all this sort of thing, and I'm just like, wow. It's inc- obviously because I'm from that sort of dad's background. I, I've I've seen it made. Yeah. It still doesn't like sit, sink in that people can do these with their bodies where they split their legs and <laughs> and all that sort of thing, and so. For me, that's one, one of my favorite roles of of my, of your rep, kind of repertoire, and I kind of want to know, like, how does that how does that come about? Like the opportunity, like those opportunities that so like a choreographer or the the artistic director mm. goes, you know what, you'd be ready. Like, does you have to audition? How does it work? So I think I Alice was actually the first principal role I covered when I joined the Royal Ballet Company, and I think it was a couple of months into joining the company that my name was down on the casting to, to cover this role. So I remember thinking, wow, this is incredible that somebody has seen my potential and put me down for a leading role when I'd mm-hmm. first joined. Um, and I had the opportunity to first dance the role um, 
actually it came about because Sarah Lamb unfortunately was injured one of the principal ballerinas of the company and so I um, stepped in um, at a couple of weeks notice so I learned the ballet in a couple of weeks um, and Stephen McRae was wonderful uh, the knave he was really just incredible and truly believed in me um and yeah having that opportunity was just wonderful um sometimes unfortunately it's because of somebody else's misfortune but um yeah i i try to grab the opportunity and and go with it <laughs> of course of course and it happened i mean it happens also like within actors world as well like people just they get another contract or they fall ill or like they have, a, uh, they have a, a debate with the director and, the, and it doesn't work out. And then suddenly the person that was potentially was going to play that role now plays a role. So I think it, hap- it happens all the time though, doesn't it? In like- Yeah, it's the uh, nature acting of- world, um, Acting world. It is, yeah. And it's just a bit, it's, it's, in, it's interesting how that sort of opportunity, how opportunities come about because some people say it's luck. Some people say it's opportunity. Some people say you make your own luck. Like it's- Yeah, I think it's a mixture. It's, it's definitely a mixture. And I think- you know, you have to be ready. You have to be um, putting yourself into a position where you're ready to go. Um, mm-hmm. to, so you're doing your own work and you are working hard, like quietly and respectfully. And then when your opportunity and moment comes, you are ready to to go for it and to mm-hmm. hopefully um, deliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, were t- we were chatting just before uh, the podcast about like how I feel like, because I, I, I mostly work with brands and stuff and I, how like the Royal Ballet when it, it's really brilliant when you guys collaborate with kind of fashion brands and stuff and it, mm. I mean because have you had much experience in those sort of collaborations and can you elaborate like I it's amazing because like I think luxury fashion brands and like luxury kind of ballet and it's it's highest form kind of goes hand in hand yeah it's interesting we were speaking about it before and I think it's definitely an avenue that the ballet world could benefit from mm-hmm. um, and also the brands themselves I think if art collaborates together you can create something really powerful and reach a wider audience so um, it's definitely something when we have collaborations within choreography new new works for instance Wayne McGregor's uh, the Dante project with having Tacita Dean come in and mm. um, paint, spray paint us and use her artwork was just, it was really incredible to see and to witness um, these greats in their fields all come together mm-hmm. um, and create something really special. And then I think it would be truly amazing to see more. I suppose current music used in ballet as well like one mm. of my most favorite experiences is dancing in carbon life with music by mark ronson yeah we had a li- live band in the back and i think a lot of young people that i speak to really remember that ballet um and i think it's important especially in anything but in the ballet world to i suppose honor tradition it's a um it's important to honor tradition but also to to move with the current time so it's a balance between the two really I mm. suppose in terms of repertoire making sure that there's the classics in there that everybody knows and loves mm. um, and then also room for experimentation and working with current artists and composers and lighting designers and, and sort of matching them all up together in a network to to make something really exciting and fresh. Yeah because I'm always fascinated with people having this kind of this conversation going what if you got like Beyonce's lighting designer and and that <laughs> person lit a ballet show like what would that what would that look like I like, would definitely want to take part in Beyonce's yeah. but like I'm, I'm, always, I'm always fascinated about crossing these disciplines because like but yeah. I, I always feel like creativity is creativity and whether yeah. like with a fine artist with like a royal ballet dancer mm. and then like a fashion designer like it's a, it's interesting to see what that kind of conversation and even architecture as well. Like everything is created or designed, and that your bodies are designed and created because that's how you see them, that's how you design them. But like yeah. it's interesting how like you, when in the way that you think about curating your body and curating choreography, 
with like an architect, how he curates a piece of building or design, how that mm. collaboration can come about. Like, why is it always a, set, a product designer, like a product set designer? Why is it not an architect that collaborates on a Royal Ballet piece? Like, I'm always fascinated yeah. by that, that collaboration. And it's, and it's evidently like with the Mark Ronson thing, like it, it's great because it, it made the Royal Ballet Company come out of the building and into mm. kind of like pop culture. And I think yeah. there's there's something like that there's something merging, even like with Andy Warhol when he was collaborating with that really famous uh, painting. Well, I don't think it's painting, but that piece of piece of artwork where he's got all these rows of uh, Coca Cola bottles. Oh yes, yeah. And one of them at the bottom is I think empty or something, and he says, "And no no amount of money in the world can change what it is because it it, it is what it is." And, and, I, and I love that sort of idea of like crossing those kind of pop cultures. And it certainly did for Mark Rodson. And I wish, and I hope there's more stuff that happens like that. Or you got like, yeah. even, even, if it, even if you got like Greta, that, per, that activist who, who imagine yeah. her coming on stage and reading something while you were dancing. I don't know, like why? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's so many bubbling ideas that I'm sure you have. I've heard, I've heard of many, amazing ideas from you but I think every artist has bubbling ideas within them so mm. it would be really interesting to create a network of people where we could all discuss these and put them on the table and then see and pick out something and you know like a cauldron of creativity yeah. like, <laughs> um, like, like a think tank because we have because think tanks happen in business and they have in sustainability they happen but I don't know how I don't know that many think tanks are happening I'm sure they are within the creative sector but I'm I want to know if there's think tanks about how we communicate in multiple different platforms. Cause I think there was, I think there's definitely think tanks, especially with the roundhouse with um, people of color and, and black artists and stuff and how we mm -hmm. can um, merge them more into the creative sector. But I don't, I don't think there's these conversations about, well, how do we start conversations with totally different people who are graffiti artists? Well, why is not a graffiti artist working on something with the Royal Ballet Company and spraying the, the, the stage at the bottom or something or spraying the art. Like one of my favorite pieces of work was uh, Alexander McQueen with that white dress and the robots on each side with the painting. Oh, yeah. And they would, and this woman was spinning on like a, a, a little top thing and, the, and it would spray paint and it would create a new piece of work. And that obviously is performance art, but also it's fashion. And so it's going, mm. and that's sort of like graffiti art. And if you go, well, that, if that happens, if graffiti art happens in fashion, why can't it happen in ballet? Mm, I think there's definitely been times where that has happened and it has opened up. And I think I sort of suppose that's paving the way for the future. And I think now, especially, we're, we're having to reach the audience via um, streamings and um, we're, we're not able to perform to an audience right now. Mm. So I think in a sense this time has really made people think about how we can bring ballet you know we can make it um accessible. go further and accessible yeah. I suppose yeah but also um to not cha change it up too much I don't mean that but just to be open to to more um and to push its boundaries because mm -hmm. everyone loves like Kenneth Kenneth and that sort of work and the older sort of work. Absolutely, yeah. But it's about, I think what you said rightly is about having, there's a place for that and making sure that the, because obviously what's going to happen and it happens all the time, that the older generation will move on and a new generation will come up and because I assume the older generation who are the investors and the people who are the diehard kind of really traditional ballet people are wanting obviously the old work because that's what they love and that's what they've grown up for. And eventually they will go on and a new generation will come up and this generation will remember the Mark Robson stuff. And so they'll mm. that more stuff. And so what will happen is that potentially the old stuff will be a bit, bit less and the stuff that was really out there, experimental will be more because that generation has now moved up and taken the place of the old generation. I think it's so important just to have an open, open view and, and also, yeah, like I said, honour the past and be in the present too. So it's a marriage of both, I suppose.
Yeah. And that's the balance is tricky. The balance is hard to find. It's always tricky, though. I think with any business, any company, it's always that. I mean, balance is life, isn't it? Yin and yang. It's about how do exactly you, how do you keep heritage? How do you keep tradition? But moving forward with the times and and it's even, it's even talking about like laws and like what, like values within your family as well. Like if like there was a time potentially that like cannabis like weed in america was like illegal or whatever and then suddenly like it's legal now and then but as your family you're like well i don't i don't agree with it and then suddenly it's legal and then suddenly maybe the the values in your in your family have to change because it now becomes do you know what i mean like things have to change but then how do you change what tradition like i strongly i'm strongly against this sort of like thing but actually the world around you society is also changing so how do you move along with it because eventually also we, we talk about like how the, the industry of like service is going to change as well. Like with robots, like AI is going to be, is going to be a thing in the future. So then you go like, how do you keep hold of what, what we have like, of like human connection and humans doing certain things, but also mm. move forward with society and go, well, do we, do we need an AI to be doing that job? Even though- the- Exactly, yeah. It's yeah, all... it's important to know where and remember where things come from. Um, I mean, and I then also, yeah, yeah utilize I, what you have now. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I can't see any AI robot doing any. Ballet. <laughs> Can you imagine an AI ba- robot ballet? I don't. I hope not, because then we'll be out of jobs. <laughs> I know, but I think I think the, I think I think what is brilliant about ballet and like performing arts in general is that it's storytelling, and like I think because robots are at the moment AI is so mechanical, it's the empathy that people draw into. And I think when a performer and or a ballet dancer, whoever it is, empathizes and, and tries to give everything and re- tries to relate a story, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really matter so, so much in quotation marks about like the lines and all that sort of thing. It's about how they perform. And I think you can't mm. ever take that away from like from a performer if they yeah. are so you wouldn't ever have a robot unless they could perform in a moat I don't know if they will maybe yeah <laughs> I think but. that's interesting that you you spoke about that because I think whether whether you're looking at a ballet that's um you know very historic and well known um or from the you know from the romantic era for example or from mm. now I think it's important to to create your own narrative in that work so you know some ballets they have a narrative and you, you're playing a character and the audience can sit down and come into that story. But with the modern works, I, that's what I try to do when I'm given the material is to create my own um, dialogue with maybe the partner that I'm dancing with and find my own thing, you know, my own situation that the audience can relate to by watching it. So it's about, I think having that empathy in dance is so important yeah. the audience feeling what you're trying to portray yeah how does it feel like when you're it's sort of like I've, I've spoken to many people about this like when actors jump into a, a role or a track they call it in musical theater a track which is someone has 25 people have done it before right mm. and the <laughs> audience know how that cat well they think they know how that character should act yeah interpretation and it's even when they do sequels in films, like you've got Matrix 4 coming out soon, right? And mm. we've seen Matrix 1, 2, and 3 and how Neo acts. And if, decide, and if uh, Keanu Reeves decided to do it slightly differently, the audience ha- already has a preconceived notion of how this character has been beforehand. So my question is to you, when you're doing like the older work, which so many people have seen, so many different people doing it, and they've always, they've, there's a character already there, mm. how do you kind of how do you navigate around that? Because I, m- I remember watching, I think it was it with Marcy, you do a duet, uh, La Fille Magade, is it cool? Yes, yeah, yeah, La Fille Magade, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's very, very technical. Um, so <laughs> how do you kind of balance that kind of technicality with bringing your own character to the character that people know the character of? Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, I think when I'm entrusted with one of those classic roles, you know, to lead a ballet, for instance, Juliet. Um, when I found out I was doing that, I thought, wow, this is this is special and I need to 
to make sure that I bring my own sense of self to the role mm-hmm. um, and whether that's relating you know things in your own life to a character um, it's being on stage and portraying a, a person's life you, you have to be very open and honest mm-hmm. um, and I think when you when you let go of what you think a role should be and you allow your your dancing to come truly from your own heart and um that's when the audience sees uh sees into your performance the most um and i love to discuss with my partner um you know maybe i'll read the book and i'll listen to the music and we rehearse and learn the material but i really enjoy that dialogue with them and Mm. um discussing like well you know on this step what are we trying to say and we have a lot of fun with that me and Marcy we love to chat so um but then there's also that element of when you get to the stage sometimes you can rehearse something a hundred times and then when you you come to the stage something happens like for instance in La Fima Garde when we performed that the audience started clapping along with one of the the parts that I was dancing and Marcelino joined in yeah and from, from the just, corner. yeah <laughs> and we hadn't you know we weren't prepared for that so you know what I had rehearsed in my head is where I was going to look at my feet and what I was going to do suddenly went out the window and you know you react to whatever's happening around you and the energy you feed off the audience that's something mm-hmm. that I'm really missing at the moment is um having that interaction with the audience and you know, to share your art with thousands of people is mm. a huge privilege. Um, and yeah, it, it's hard to explain the feeling, but when you're p- playing a character, you, you do, you know, you want to inhabit that person and to tell the story, but you also have to be as if you were yourself in that situation. I always try to think, okay, how would I feel if this happened to me? And then mm. let the dancing just flow from that really mm-hmm. and my, my, my one of my questions as well because i've always been i think it's always been a, a topic of discussion is like there is a technique to it like you have to hit the lines and that sort of thing mm. you have to be fully turned out how much how much balance in your brain are you thinking about like hitting those lines because they know, <laughs> know there's a there's someone taking photos because they know it has to yeah. be sort of flat and be mm. in the moment and going with your character. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a minefield. Um, I think the, the first stage is, you know, the foundation of a process of taking on a role. You learn the choreography. You're with your coach. You, you kind of block out all the sections of the ballet so you know the steps. So that's muscle memory that goes in. You, it's a process. It really is. And you let that digest. You do your research on the role. Um, I like to do research before coming into a studio just so I have that mindset of already kind of unpacking a character and and knowing that that person in the ballet really well. Um, and then you run it for stamina so that when you come to running the ballet, you're not halfway through the ballet and, you know, trying to really emote and your legs are giving way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to ha- build up your stamina. Um but then also you do, there comes a moment where you do really have to just let go. And I think that really is the time you go to the stage. You've done all the preparation before and you have to, you have, to have that trust in yourself mm. um, to be able to, to just go out there and um, tell let, the story. And let, let it, let it, let it unfold. Yeah. Exactly. Be, yeah, exactly. Let it all out. Um, dance is a form of expression and yeah just be free because no because no one ever wants I mean I think when I back in the day like you, people would say like on auditions and stuff no one wants to see someone do a perfect four pirouettes if their face doesn't do anything yeah it, if you finish <laughs> yeah like it's a very simple thing like people could everyone could do a double tour but like if you do a double tour and you finish it like differently mm. people will always remember that because a double tour is a double tour or triple tour triple, mm. I, mean, I don't know I don't know how many people could do triple tours but um it's interesting because it is a balance between obviously there are certain technical elements you need to nail um and you have to meet the requirements as a professional ballet dancer but 
what I find interesting when I watch from the front is, you know, when I'm touched by someone's movement and dancing is when I feel the most blown away. Yeah. Um, and it's not always the tricks that yeah. blow me away. It's the how somebody's made me feel when I leave the theatre. Yeah. So it, it kind of goes with the question going like, I've seen performers or I've seen ballet dancers who haven't hit the kind of like flat thing, but they've made me feel something and they have such an amazing character. Would then, would, would the ballet master have a conversation with that person and going, well, I know you didn't hit the flat, but it, you made us feel something. It was, how is that? What is the balance with from what the, the, the higher people want and what they want to see, even if you give that really amazing performance and you make people feel something, but you haven't hit your mm. flat marks and all that sort of thing? Um, I think, like you said, it's a balance. And I think there needs to be elements of it all. Um, as dancers now, we need to be very versatile. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, with the classical work and the modern contemporary, um, there really is that diversity mm. in, especially in the Royal Ballet Company. And I think the nature of how we work um, kind of feeds into each style. We bring something of, of the classical into the contemporary and it cool. sort of, yeah, it's, it's a, it is just a balance. It isn't it? Because you had, um, I think it was at Hoffa Schechter who yes. created the work on, and uh, people who don't know who Hoffa Schechter is, he's a very, very, very contemporary choreographer. Um, mm. And it's a lot of like floor work sort of stuff. It's very like mm. low sense of gravity. And obviously most things that the Royal Ballet do is, is up. It's very... Yes, even, yeah. Even, so to get that, so you have to, I think nowadays you have to be much more diverse in terms of the way that you physically can move as a performer. Mm, exactly, yeah. It's, it, it's yeah, it's, it, the demands are higher now compared to back in maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago, or even, yeah. Yeah, years ago where, like, yeah you can have, yeah. It was just you can ballet. go through a day where you, you know, brought your tutu, you go from a Wayne yeah. McGregor ballet infra and then suddenly I'm rehearsing Aurora an hour later and you know um, putting your body into extremes but also I think it makes you a well-rounded artist. Yeah and so we were, we were talking to before also just briefly before about how fashion and ballet is like it, it basically consumes your world like you are like mm. that. I don't I don't know that many I mean apart from kind of a lawyer like I, can't, I don't, can't imagine any other kind of career that really consumes your entire life. Like if you work in fashion, like hardcore fashion, you are like part of fashion clique. Everything about your life is fashion. How do you find that balance? Again, it goes about the word of balance. Is mm. how, how do you have time to do other things that you might be interested in, like hobbies or like mm. you want to go on holiday, go hiking. I mean, I don't know if you can go hiking, <laughs> your phones and that sort of thing. But yeah, yeah. balance. Um, I think it's important to have a life outside of, of what you do and whatever that is. Um, with me, I find it, it kind of naturally happens with my family, not being in the dance world. When I come home, I'm Anna. Um, and then when I go to the theatre, I'm completely engulfed in what I'm doing um, and focused on that. So, yeah, I think being curious to everything around you outside, whether that, you know, even if that's still in your interest in in the arts but you know visiting theatres and watching films and um just having an open mind and um letting yourself be in, be inspired by everything around you whether that you know that's watching I don't know sports or um reading or whatever that is just being open to finding inspiration in other other formats for sure what, what are you reading at the moment at the moment I'm actually reading the this novel of the the story of the ballet that we're about to um we're we're preparing so I'm not sure if I can say <laughs> it <laughs> um, but yeah it's good I've just watched the film as well so I feel like just educating myself on what I'm working towards um is putting my mind towards something and is uh, forcing me in a way to think about the character that I'm, you know, making steps on. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 
And so it all helps. But oh, my, one of my, one of my, I have a lot of friends who are athletes, like for Olympics. Mm-hmm. And I chat to them about like, because their body is literally their career, like that is what it is. So your body has to be so protective. Are there there's certain things, not that their teammates or their managers say they can't do, but in themselves, they're like, oh, I don't think I should. Yeah. Be free. Yeah, like I wouldn't skydive or. Like, um, is there certain things that personally that you have been advised not to, or things that you just don't do? Because obviously, if you are injured for a tiny bit, it's it's really detrimental to your career. Yeah, yeah, there are elements to you know life that you maybe go, oh, I might sit that one out because if I do break my ankle, then that's not such a good idea. Um, you know, like ice skating, for example. I there's part of me that goes, oh, I'd love to go ice skating Christmas, but then there's also another part that's saying you know you're supposed to be debuting as the sugar plum fairy and if you hurt yourself now all of your you know hard work that you've been putting in for months um goes down the drain so yeah it's finding the things that you can do and um being sensible as well <laughs> yeah well is there anything you would if you weren't about it is there anything you would love to do that's daring right that, that you if you were to like you know what i'd love to <laughs> yeah like, like what um like I don't I think jumping out of a, like a parachute thing would be quite be amazing but that would be quite incredible um I've got but then I've I say got, that now in my head it sounds incredible but then if I got there I don't think I would want to do I, it I, I know, apparently my parent my family are planning it for a couple of years time for me to do it oh really wow yeah because I've always wanted you have to, to tell it. me how what it's like maybe you can just tell me I'll film it as well and send it to you <laughs> okay because like yeah my theory right it's if you because I think I think I I don't know if it's all right I think it's 20,000 feet I think is the highest you can go I think um oh, really? and, and so some people go like 5,000 some people go like 10,000 but for me I'm like if you're falling out of the of a plane sure you just want to go to the highest bit because you're already falling anyway <laughs> I might I might at I mean... <laughs> the top <laughs> To be honest, dancing is quite adrenaline, you know, your adrenaline is really going before you go out on stage. So I think there is an element to every dance or performer that has that, that you're, you're not an adrenaline junkie, but you come back for it for more. Um, yeah, yeah. Sure. You know, you have that moment before stage where you go, ooh, I'm feeling really on edge and this is really exciting. Um, and then you're very relaxed in the show, but then you, you still do it to yourself every day every time um because it's something that we i feel like i can't live without <laughs> it's yeah, really yeah. weird even, even music artists though when they do like gigs and concerts they just on such a high afterwards it's like it takes them like three four hours yeah. to come down because it's such a massive adrenaline. it's an immense high yeah 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 it's crazy isn't it like and and, and i don't if, if you haven't been to the, um, I mean, if people are listening, if you haven't been to the, uh, the Royal Opera House, it, it, it is all, when we can go to the theatre and stuff, it is a must to go because it's so beautiful and big. Like, it, there's nothing mm. like it. I don't, there's no, it's not like going to like Sadler's Wells or like a West End show. Like, it is just, I don't mm. know, and just another land. It's almost like a, a dome, like, um, it feels like a an arena, almost like the Colosseum, but very yeah. like. And, and I've been, I've been, to, I've, been to, I've been to a couple of opera houses in Germany, and I've been to Paris Opera and stuff, and I've, I've gone to a lot of them while I was traveling and stuff. And mm. I always just think the Royal Ballet, that uh, the, the Royal Opera House is just like I don't know, it's just another league in itself for me personally, because also I'm British. Mm. I, I always think where you, where you come from is like the best thing ever. I agree. <laughs> Yeah, yeah it's very uh, special yeah so what we always do at 360 we'd like to round up and we'd like to give a, a gift back to our audience what would you give back to our audience in terms of inspiration that you've had maybe from like a kind of ballet master or like a book or a film or a quote that someone's ever said to you hmm. um I've been given so many pieces of advice that have been really great and resonated with me but I think actually the most simple piece of advice that my mum used to always say to me and my siblings growing up is treat people how you would like to be treated Um, I think whatever field you're in whatever situation you're in if you go into into that with 
good intentions and respect for the people around you it creates an environment where everybody reaches their full potential Mm. um especially you know in an artistic industry as well I think it's really important to have that um surround yourself with good people I would say um people that lift you up and you them Mm. um and also I'm I'm saying a few now (laughs) it's all right Uh, (laughs) it's kind of gone onto a track um and I'd also say uh, I, I like the saying was it dance to the beat beat of your own drum or march to the beat of your oh, own drum yeah I, I really like that one I think that just you know sums up um living life authentically to you and never losing your what makes you special and what you can bring mm-hmm. to the world um yeah be yeah. kind treat people with respect and and um don't be afraid to be yourself and you yeah. don't have to follow the crowd it's true because I think anyone who has ever been successful, who have, who have impacted on a, in a great way, has never followed the crowd that did their own thing. And I think mm. that kind of beat your own drum, uh, listen to the heart and beat your own drum is so, I don't know, profound because like there is so many people that will kind of give you rejections, like if you're a scriptwriter or if you're doing whatever. And you might get that no, but you need to listen to your own heart to go, this is great. What I am doing is really worthwhile and I absolutely love what I do. And I don't care mm. if you say no, because someone will say yes. And I and I keep I keep thinking about this recently when we're in this kind of pandemic and we kind of have to have that kind of process about mm. kind of own self kind of worth and process going, what I'm doing is really is is what I need to do at this moment in time. And I think listening to your heart and because I think we can, I think because there is everything is kind of stopped at the moment. It's so difficult yeah. to kind of overthink your your career path and go, what do I want to do in the future and what do I really want to do now and all this sort of thing. And I think listening to your own kind of heart and drum is such a mm. really great quote at this moment in time where people, some a lot of people, are a bit lost um, mm. what they're doing. So thank you for that quote because I think it's great. It's a great quote. Oh. Well, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> cool. Well, I want to say thank you so much for giving us your time on 360 Yourself. It's actually been really insightful and great to catch up because little do you know that we've known each other for a long, long, long time. Um, yeah, a long time. Back at Young Creatives. I think that's when I first met you back in 2010, 2011. Yeah, it's a long time ago. Long time ago. <laughs> long time ago. It's nearly, yeah, it's nearly 10 years ago. 11 years wow. ago. <laughs> It's a long time. Well, so again, so thank you very much for coming on our show. Oh, thank you for having me. Take care and stay safe and stay happy. This is 360 Yourself and I'm Jamie Neal. Thank you very much for taking a moment to listen to our wonderful guests. Please subscribe to our podcast to access all our brilliant guest episodes. They are released every Sunday at 12pm. We are available on all listening platforms, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Google Podcasts and Castro. You can also find us on Instagram at 360 underscore yourself, Twitter at yourself360 and our host at Jamie Neal JN. Thank you for listening.